2: Live in the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York City's Times Square. This is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Jeff Mills, and Dan Nathan. Ahead on Fast Baba Bounce, Cheers Valley Baba, keep climbing. Up nearly 50% in the last week, now almost back to even for the year. The Chinese e-commerce giant announcing a $25 billion buyback. Is this a bullish sign for investors? Plus, Elon Musk busting a move, literally. (laughs) As he opens a new factory in Germany, it is the first manufacturing plant for Tesla in Europe. The stock rebounding from its electric slide now of 20%. Mm. In the last month, how big a deal is today's ribbon-cutting for investors? And later, a fast pitch, a new face to us, to Fast Money, tells us why he is teeing up this golf stock that's been in the rough for most of the past year. Will it be a four or a hole-in-one?
0: Wow, Mel. That's brutal. We
2: can't fit any more puns oh. in there. So we will start with another sea of green on Wall Street. The S&P notching its fifth day of gains in six sessions. It is now up a whopping 6% since its lows last Wednesday when the Fed announced its rate hike. And the threat of even higher rates coming even faster has not slowed anybody down, not even big tech. Just take a look at the gains since Wednesday's bottom. Amazon up nearly 12%, Meta up more than 11 uh, These five companies have gained a combined $780 billion dollars in market cap in that run and what's doing even better than tech the consumer discretionary names leading today's rally up nearly two and a half percent so as the market come to terms with higher rates it looks like everything's coming up roses the fed has got it under control either that or the headwinds will abate dan nathan Things are great again. All right. I want
3: to um, one stock. We talked about Nike last night. And we everybody, everybody was enamored Everything with their, exactly. their, their earnings in, in such a difficult environment. Mm-hmm. And the guidance that they gave and the stock was up like eight percent. It looked like it was ready to party. Right. Did you see where it opened today? And did you see where it closed? It closed on the dead low. If the stock market was open another hour, it would have closed down on the day. I think that's a bit of a preview of what we're going to see as we get through the end of Q1 um, into what might be a disappointing pre-announcement season, we might see companies come out and say, hey, listen, and I'll just tell you this, they kind of have a mulligan to keep with your golf theme. Do you know that's a golf nice thing? Job. No, I don't know I if you did that. that. Nice job uh, by you. Because of the uncertainty that's going on with Europe and supply chains and all this stuff. So to me, listen, I, you know, this was a technical sort of reversal. I don't think any of us were pressing the lows a week and a half ago. It was a sort oh. of sell the rumor, buy the news into the Fed.
0: I was not pressing lows. Um, I, I do think, though, that, you know, I've, I've been not constructive on the market's ability to hold this. So I'm with you on yeah. a lot of this. I will say, though, I'll, I'll push back on your Nike and say that, you know, the triple Qs. So the Nasdaq 100 closed at the highs yeah. and, and we're up 12 and three quarters percent off those intraday lows from last Monday. And, and this was, again, on a day when rates kicked higher. So my caution is is not to dismiss Dan's caution, which is I I, I agree with this. Q1 earnings are not going to go well and the guide's not going to go well. Um, but I'm more worried about the market interpreting Jerome Powell and 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 Evans and all these other, and Bullard, excuse me, who have gone out there and said maybe you could get 50 basis points as a sign that the economy can withstand that when these are the same people that told you there was no inflation up until November. So I, I don't think we should listen to the Fed and have the market take off and interpret this as the Fed is telling us the economy is resilient, it's strong, and we're good here.
3: Can, can I ask you one question, though? So um, when you think about the, the price action you just mentioned in the broad market. It seems very algo driven. And then if you look at a single stock that has a lot of news in an environment where there's not a lot of single stock news and it acts the way it does, that to me is maybe more telling, especially as we get into a quarter end. And it was a very bad quarter for the broad market, um, if you think about it historically. So maybe we see a little bit
0: of a mark.
2: Yeah. Jeff Mills, what's your take? Well,
4: there's a lot going on right now, but I think there are a couple interesting things that I wanted to highlight. First of all, it all comes back to the Fed and interest rates. I keep saying that, and it feels like now that the Fed wants to tighten until something breaks. And either growth is going to break or inflation is going to break. And I just think the chances of growth breaking uh, have increased. And you see it in the curve, flattening. and I think we're probably in for more of that, unfortunately. And I think the interesting thing about all of that is that every time the 2.10 spread goes to zero, the 10-year Treasury rate starts to fall. So I keep saying, yes, we're closer to the top uh, than anything else in the 10-year. Sure, could we go to 250? Of course. But I think ultimately rates start to back off. And I think maybe that's what you're starting to see right now in market leadership. We've been talking about this idea of growth as defense, right? And we've seen growth outperforming value even as as rates have moved higher over the past couple of weeks. So maybe the market is starting to sniff out this slower growth, slower earnings growth. That's what we're all talking about. And investors are starting to huddle into these areas uh, where they believe companies will be able to maintain at least some semblance of earnings growth. And just just to wrap it all in, in terms of the broad market... You know, we are rallying right now, but it's not necessarily from a position of strength. This is not like the rally that we saw in November of, of 2020. It was sort of the last week where we saw a 6-plus percent move. You have 50 percent of the S&P above the 200-day, 40 percent of the triple Qs above the 200-day. Those numbers were 72 percent and 84 percent back in that November of 2020 rally. So it just feels like a very different market, and, and potentially we have more to go on the downside.
2: I get all that, Guy. But you always talk about trading the market that you have. The market that we have today, at least, mm-hmm. and over the past week, has been telling us risk on. We I mean, take a look at the movement in the, dare I say it, the meme stocks today in Bitcoin, in Ether, in ARK, all of these high valuation risk on sort of names all rallied. What does that tell us?
5: Not quite sure. I mean, you know, the guys talked about not pressing it. I'll flat out tell you, I mean, I thought the market was going to sell off meaningfully, you know, late last week into this week. That clearly hasn't happened. And, you know, I still think at some point that 3750 level in the S&P has sort of got a bullseye on it. But, you know, Dan coined this phrase a couple of years ago that the market was crashing higher. And I've talked about it. You know, typically we put panic in front of selling. But I would submit the last week, week and a half, we've seen panic buying. I mean, people just fleeing just Basically running in anything they can get their hands on, thinking the worst is behind us. I don't think they are. I mean, bond volatility just for, you know, S's and G's, as they say. I mean, 10-year yields were 165 a few weeks ago. I mean, it's 240 now. I mean, that's an astronomical move. The S&P has rallied 340 or so handles in basically eight or nine trading days. I mean, does that make a lot of sense? Not in this backdrop, because quite frankly, the problems that we were talking about a month ago have not abated. If anything, I think they've gotten
0: worse.
2: Can I throw this scenario out? Just, I feel like I need to play the role of the bull um, in this conversation. You can do it whatever you want,
0: by the way. I mean, you run the show here, so... That is
2: true. I could really do whatever I want. Um, But let's say that the markets believe that the Fed has this under control. They're going to fight inflation very hard, that they're willing to go to 50. They're willing to go to 52 times, according to Goldman Sachs in the May and June meetings, that if the Fed doesn't do that, it's because inflation has abated. Maybe the Russia-Ukraine conflict ends or gets resolved in some fashion, and those inflationary forces die down. Tim, I mean, could, could we be seeing actually a rally for a reason?
0: Well, I I just think that the market, the equity market doesn't understand that, first of all, you get to 250 on the two year, you've essentially broken the downtrend of four decades uh, lower on rates. And if you look at that chart going back 40 years, you can see And you know, we can overshoot, we can do, we can undershoot. It's that kind of a trend that I'm not going to tell you in the sand. I would also say that if you look at a two year note. And you look at a 20 year chart, uh, we're essentially uh, rates are higher than they've been, you know, almost 90, 95 of, percent of the time over the last 15 years than they have been. And there's a direct impact on consumer credit, revolving credit and things that I don't think. Uh, the market really has a chance to assess yet. So where is the economy going to be in another 50 basis points or 100 basis points of Fed hikes? Uh, I think that that's something that stocks are going to have to wait for, even though they are a discounting mechanism. And that's why I would not trust a market that thinks Jerome Powell referencing 50 basis points is bullish for the economy. It's not.
3: Yeah. And I'll just go back to the last rate hiking cycle that we had back in 14, 15, you know, we're all up into that 2018. I mean, they got the 10 year U.S. Treasury yield moved up as the Fed funds moved up in a pretty steady sort of manner. And there were definitely some growth scares here and there. If you guys remember 15 and 16, you also remember crude oil going down 65 percent as the dollar was rallying, too. So what's different now is that the, the, the pace in which they are doing it. And we remember the. Last Last time the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield was above 3% in late 2018, the stock market did not like it. So here we are. We have an S&P 500 trading about 19 times. That's basically in line with a five-year average. It's above the 10-year average about 17 times. And I'd say this. If you're looking for a sentiment indicator, I'd say you'd want that to dip below the 10-year average, right? And there's a couple ways it could get there. I just don't think that we had the max pain, the horrible sentiment. It happened too quickly Given the uncertainty that we have in markets and given right now what is a certainty about a Fed that wants to battle inflation. And as BK said last night, the only way they really do that in such a fast pace is to slow the economy. And I don't think the stock market, S&P in particular, down 5 percent on the year, people, after up 26% last year discounts that.
2: All right, our next guest says uh, he's got some ways to hedge against the Fed's additional rate hikes. Let's bring in Jason Trenner, chairman of Strategus, a Baird company. Jason, great to have you with us. Um, you've got a new ETF out, relatively new, and, and basically it's sort of defensive and it plays inflation. Can you sort of walk us through the timing of this in terms of you know how this um, illustrates what your what your market forecast is?
6: Yeah, well, just listening to um, the guys and you, I, I I have to say I'm uncharacteristically cautious on the markets now because I think the Fed uh, is going to uh, is um, is well beyond well is very far behind the curve, probably has at least six or seven more tightenings, uh, perhaps until something breaks. And so we have a, a, a S.A.M.T., Strategist Macro uh, Thematic Opportunities Fund, uh, which plays both higher inflation uh, and also gets somewhat more defensive in terms of cyclical defensive, companies that have um, strong correlations with staples but aren't quite staples. Uh, and then we also have uh, companies that play quantitative tightening, uh, higher inflation. Uh, the one theme that's not working out quite as well is a return to uh, travel and leisure, tra- travel and entertainment stocks uh, by businesses. But um, that is the that is the theme. Those are the themes that make up that uh, that ETF.
2: Just curious, Jason, how do you think about um, some of these inflationary pressures that we're seeing on various commodities and input costs if the Russia-Ukraine conflict ends? Um, Does that go away for the most part, or do you think that sanctions remain on and this inflationary pressure remains?
6: I think, I think commodity price inflation is only one part of it, uh, Melissa. I think you have rents, uh, which uh, generally tend to follow uh, home prices. Home prices were up about 18 percent last year. Uh, you have wages. You still have – you're close to full employment. You have 11 million job openings. There's a lot of job openings, especially in the service sector. That's going to continue to put pressure on wages. Uh, and then you have environmental policies, and we could debate – uh, the, their usefulness or efficacy or wisdom, but uh, they are going to keep uh, energy prices higher longer uh, than people think in my opinion so i, I don't even if Russia were to mercifully if, if Lord willing our prayers were answered, and the Ukraine um, situation was resolved peacefully tomorrow. I think there is an enormous amount of the policy mix that you've had, enormous amount of fiscal and monetary policy that still has to get worked off. So inflation, I think, is going to be with us for a long time. You can't really call it transitory if the Fed has to slam on the brakes to stop it. And the Fed had its opportunity to make a forecast on inflation last year. It was wrong. It doesn't have that ability politically um, this year.
4: Hey, Jason. It's Jeff Mills. Great to talk to you. Um, I had a quick question. So you guys have some baskets that you track internally. I think they usually do a pretty good job of, of giving us an idea of either where the economy is going or something relative to policy. So you have your reopening basket and companies that would benefit from cyclicality reopening. That's sort of uncharacteristically levitated here as the 210 spread has really fallen off a cliff. So right. talk to me a little bit how you see that basket's performance versus what we're seeing in the bond market.
6: Well, I think, you know, the other I would just say that that uh, is indicating, as you're as you're pointing out, that the economy is going to be a a bit slower. Uh, The the theme, the one theme in the in the strategic macro thematic fund that isn't working is is the return to uh, business travel. There's another uh, ETF that we have, which is Global Policy Opportunities Fund, um, SGAP, and that uh, is um, focused on companies that do a lot of lobbying. Um, that's doing a little bit better because it has defensive, uh, has somewhat more defensive companies uh, in it. So I would argue that um, the economy right now, in my opinion, is showing some signs, some signs of strain. But I would not interpret that as a reason for the Fed to stop tightening. The Fed does not have a choice now. Uh, it is so far behind the curve that it has to continue almost regardless uh, of what's happening in the geopolitical. Um, and macroeconomic environment. It, it really has to focus on the first its first mandate which is price stability.
2: Jason, always great to get your thoughts. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Jason Trennard, of Strategis, a Baird company. Um, guy, that's pretty dire. I mean we've talked about the box in which the Fed finds itself today in terms of being forced to go down this path regardless of what is going on around it. Do you still say that the consumer will hold up in this environment?
5: Well, there's a two-part answer. As long as Mm -hmm. the stock market does well, absolutely, unequivocally, I think for me, and I've said this for years, consumer confidence is just really an overlay of the S&P 500. People feel richer when the market goes up, regardless as to whether or not they own stocks. If the market were to sell off in a precipitous fashion, consumer spending stops on a dime. We've seen that over the last 15 or so years, many times over, so... I, I say it, I know you're going to repeat it, never underestimate the U.S. consumers want to spend. It doesn't mean they should be.
2: All right. Let's check out Alibaba shares jumping 11 percent today. The company increasing its share buyback program to $25 billion. The Chinese e-commerce giant now up nearly 50 percent in the past week. They say this is a, a sign of its confidence in the continued growth for the business. Tim, do you buy that? Uh,
0: This is the third time they've increased the buyback since the stock's been in freefall. So this isn't a reason to go out and buy the stock, folks. Uh, It's up 53 percent off those intraday lows on a five day. Um, The reason to buy the stock is if you feel uh, the pressure from the Russia regulator is is off Alibaba because uh, there's not a question about the growth. There's not a question about the valuation. We've done the breakdown. Uh, We've talked about what you get for free, including the businesses that they really tried to take apart, like Alipay and some of these others, some of their investments. But at nine times, two thousand and twenty three stocks far from expensive at a time when I still think that the consumption trends in China are not going to disappear. So um, I like Alibaba. I'm long Alibaba. I'm not telling you this buyback is a fresh round of confidence from management that you should ride high.
3: Yeah, I would just say this. I mean, other than the valuation point that you point out, and I think that's discounting a lot of stuff that could potentially still happen. I think there's plenty of stocks here in America that are down 70 percent that have similar growth characteristics. And I mean that quite sincerely. I don't mean to sound so nationalistic. I just don't see if we're worried about a geopolitical situation in Europe right now, right, where we're seeing all sorts of multinationals uh, banning activity with them. I think you have to be worried about Chinese uh, domicile and, stocks. But,
0: and, and I hear you. On I think you're right to think about U.S. stocks as an emerging markets guy. I always fought this with people. They're like, why do I need to invest with their corporate governance risk when I can invest at home? Alibaba should be like Google. though. We're not talking about any company. And when I look at Alibaba and I look at Tencent, I think these are two of the most important tech companies in the world. And they're not tiny. I mean, they're massive. Um, so I, I think you still have a lot of concern around the things we're talking about. But, but the fact of the matter is investors who do take a shot on some of these names on the long term, I think are probably going to be in a good place right now. They're holding back the entire emerging markets asset class as well.
2: But let's be clear here. I mean, should should an Alibaba trade even close to the multiple that, let's say, a Google, a Google trades at or should there be a permanent discount? And maybe the discount is even greater in its valuation these days because of the geopolitical risk. Jeff.
4: Yeah, we've been doing a lot of work on this, actually, just thinking about emerging markets as an asset class and how we want to get exposure. And I think the right answer is it probably shouldn't trade right on top of a stock like Google because you do have this regulatory risk. You do have risk around, you know, variable interest structures and how U.S. investors get exposure to these companies. So there is some inherent risk that I think needs to now be priced in to these companies. And in terms of the move that we're seeing here, not that the valuation isn't somewhat compelling here for a long-term investor, it might be. But at 50% up uh, over the last five days, I would probably be fading this. I feel like this is a big sort of negative sentiment bounce. I was doing some work just looking at how different areas of the market were trading. So I looked at KWEB versus ARC, for example. The correlation is over 0.7 versus ARC uh, compared, or versus KWEB compared to the triple Qs, for example, where the correlation is far lower. So you're seeing these very low quality, high beta names that just have gotten absolutely destroyed. They're bouncing huge, so I just don't know that that's necessarily sustainable in this kind of a market.
2: All right, coming up, the Tesla Tango. Elon Musk breaking out the dance moves at Tesla's new German factory, if you can call them that. So is this stock worth grooving into? We've got the details ahead, but first, we are all over the after-hours action in Adobe. Shares on the move after reporting results. We go inside the numbers next. Fast money's back into. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Adobe falling after reporting earnings. Frank Holland has been listening to the conference call. He's got the latest. Frank.
9: Hey there, Melissa. You know, shares of Adobe falling on soft Q2 guidance after beats on the top and the bottom. The call started just a few minutes ago. CEO Shantanu Narayan and other executives really focusing on its creative cloud offerings. But as you can see, the stock still continue to fall. Uh, Creative Cloud, that's part of its digital revenue segment that reported in just above estimates. Same thing for digital experience revenue. Adobe gets 98% of overall revenue from these two segments. Last week, the company also announcing cloud tools to get businesses into the metaverse with customers like Coca-Cola and NASCAR as some of their first customers in that area. The real issue in the quarter was the guidance. Revenue and EPS guidance, both soft. But Adobe broke out its Russia and Ukraine revenues that are just a p- small part of that pie after the company stopped all sales in Russia, but said it would still work with its customers in Ukraine. Shares are down year to date, double digits. Adobe not benefiting from a lot of that bounce back that other mega cap tech names have seen. Back over to you.
2: Frank, thank you. Guy Gaia, go to you on this.
5: You know, I think the stock was up 12 bucks today. I think it's giving it back now. And again, one of these things that doesn't make any sense to me. It was just, not that it matters, but it was a $700 short of $700 stock in November. Here we are at 450. Yes, the second quarter guide wasn't great, but it wasn't disastrous by any stretch. You're still talking about a company that's probably, I don't know, 20% EPS EPS growth, trading at 28 times, which I don't think is particularly expensive. I think it's a really important company. And oh, by the way uh... their operating margins were really strong so i think you buy this quarter and with that said here it is getting sold off in the aftermarket again doesn't make sense
3: yeah, I, I don't think you buy this quarter based on the current year that they're in right now. You have a stock trading 34 times um, expected EPS growth of 11% on revenue growth of 14%, trading 12 times, people. This is a $220 billion market cap company, which did not give you anything on their guidance, in my opinion. So I don't think you buy it. And if you look at that bounce off of those recent lows, I think we're going to, like, we, we kind of got distracted, Mel, in the A block we we're talking about, like, some of those ARC names. We always get distracted. no. I, no, no what I'm I mean. saying is, that's a <laughs> (laughs) That's a bit of a sideshow in the meme stocks and the crypto. Keep an eye on these names. Keep an eye on Nike. Keep an eye on the ones that, that, that are the ones that are going to break the market back out to those. Pri- I mean, like, that's the only thing I care
0: about. I, I, I think it's what we're willing to pay for these stocks, because yeah. I don't see churn rates going that much higher in, in, in software subscriptions. And I think this is a cash flow machine. So um, what are we willing to pay for? I agree that those numbers are expensive and, and software stocks have come down a lot, but they could come down some more. But the quality of that revenue stream and the quality of the free cash flow is there in Adobe.
2: All right. From software to cyber, shares of authentication services provider Okta dropping today on reports of a possible digital breach. FedEx, JetBlue, Peloton, and the FCC are some major customers listed on their website. The um, stock was down one and three quarters percent. Jeff, you've been following this one.
4: Yeah, obviously problematic for Okta specifically, but I think overall, you know, this is something we talk about over and over again, and it's cybersecurity maybe being the biggest threat that we have right now to corporate America. Still only 10 percent of companies' IT spend is on cybersecurity. So a lot of these names, yes, they are expensive, but there's also runway. I think about a stock like CrowdStrike, for example. You know, it's not cheap, but it's certainly gotten a lot cheaper, and it has this massive secular tailwind. You're starting to see operating leverage in these businesses now. You go back to 2018, for example, they were spending 87, 88 cents for every dollar of revenue, that's down to 33 cents. Their annual recurring revenue up 65% year over year. So the growth is there. Uh, and you also look at some of these charts. You know, major downside. CrowdStrike, as another example, but fell precisely to that post-COVID high. It's held multiple times, turning higher. Uh, and there are other places to look. I think Palo Alto. It's a cheaper alternative. Okta itself, I'd probably be buying on any downside here. So uh, I I definitely like the space, especially after the re-rating we've seen in some of the valuations.
2: So, the Biden administration guy has been out and vocal about warning corporate America of possible cyber breaches um, from Russia specifically. If we could travel in time forward to the future and listen to some of the conference calls on a Palo Alto network and a CrowdStrike and a CyberArk, are we going to hear about uh, increased spend during the quarter because of these potential? Uh, attacks?
0: Look how excited he is when he's talking about traveling into the well, future. Well, that's why I have he's to, smiling, so instead of just asking,
2: are we going to hear? I, 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 you know, with Guy, I can only, you know, keep his attention if I can play a game. So play that game, Guy. Well,
5: first, uh, you're right about that. <laughs> I like playing games, as you know. First of all, I take umbrage with the if we could uh, time travel. <laughs> I mean, almost by definition, isn't daylight saving time time travel? If you really think about it, Ooh. <laughs> I'll go. I'll, I'll let you think about that for a second and say this: absolutely, Melms. That was a rhetorical question. You know that on conference calls over the next few quarters, you're going to hear all about the spend in cybersecurity. And we listen. This is one thing we've actually gotten right in terms of these names. Palo Alto had a huge day today, another new all-time high. So, these names, in my opinion, you sort of have to look past valuation. Get your arms around what's going on in the world and just continue to own these stocks.
2: All right. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next.
7: Tesla turns up and Musk boogies down. Why he's rolling out the dance moves at Tesla's new factory. Plus, a fairway fast pitch. Break out your 9-iron. Our next guest lays out why this gold stock is a hole-in-one investment. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need.
8: Is there anything you can't do?
7: Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... new. No. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation
2: may vary. See Center for Details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
7: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money Checkout. Tesla surging higher today. The stock is now up nearly 24 percent in just the last week. This big move coming as Elon Musk declares the company's Berlin Gigafactory officially open for business. Let's bring in our very own Phil LeBeau for more. Phil, you know, Elon Musk was danced before, I'm sure. I don't know if you ever saw him dance like he did today.
10: Oh, yes. (laughs) Who hasn't? Who hasn't? In fact, cue the tape, let's see it again. You would expect him to be in a celebratory mood now that the Giga Berlin plant is open. That's about the dance moves we usually see from Elon Musk. Well, he's chasing after a little drone that was videotaping him there on the line. This is, by the way, Melissa, the official, the plant's been open for some time, but now they're delivering vehicles from there. And the significance of this is that they can now deliver, deliver model-wise to European buyers instead of importing them from the Tesla plant in China. And Europe is really, of the three major regions where you see EV sales growing around the world, growing at a very fast pace, Europe is really the weakest of those regions for Tesla. North America, no surprise, the home market, 350,000, China quickly catching up, the giga, plant, the giga plant in Shanghai is growing, and then you've got Europe. And again, they had to import all of those vehicles sold there in from China. That will change. That will make a huge difference in terms of European sales. And it's a big reason why when you take a look at their annual sales, They did 936,000 last year. They expect, or I shouldn't say they expect, I should say analysts expect them to report annual sales of 1.42 million for this year. It'll be interesting to see if they get there, Melissa, because like all automakers, they are seeing constraints in the supply chain, including with semiconductors. They've managed it better than a lot of other automakers, but they are seeing that pressure. And what we're seeing today with the Gigafactory in Berlin We're going to see a repeat performance from Elon Musk, I bet, in a couple of weeks when they open up the Gigafactory outside of Austin, Texas. And remember, that Gigafactory, Melissa, it initially will be building Model Ys for the eastern half of the United States. Now, they're going to eventually expand, and they'll be doing uh, the semi there. There's also plans to do the Cybertruck there. Uh, But initially, it'll be for the Model Ys in the eastern half of the U.S.
2: Has there been any sort of commentary, Phil? I don't know if he actually talk to the press at this event. About, I mean, I know that they've hiked prices, um, but just about the input costs and whether or not they've locked in at, at certain levels. I mean, things are still rising. Things are still elevated. And I'm wondering how far they out rising. they anticipated, you know, those costs would be higher.
10: We'll find out during earnings. He has made mm-hmm. limited comments, uh, most of them on Twitter, on social media, where he said, look, they, they are noticing the impact of higher commodity costs. I mean, they're not immune to it. Uh, The question becomes, have they been able to manage it better than other automakers? The fact that we've seen prices go up is not a surprise. Look, we see this with all of the automakers. As much as you will hear people say, well, we're keeping the MSRP within check, they're all raising prices. And they have to because of what's going on with the supply chain. So we'll find out more in detail about whether they're managing it better than their competitors uh, when the quarterly numbers come out in late April.
2: All right. Phil, thanks. Phil LeBeau. You bet. Guy, I can't decide if Elon Musk dances better than you or vice versa. The bar's low on both (laughs) fronts. Um, where do you stand on Tesla here? It's no, been a, listen, a big you, run you know the, you,
5: First of all, you know, the an, you know the answer to that. I mean, if he dances, he dances better than I do, number one. He's also a lot smarter than I am. I think this is one, look, it traded down to that $700 level. We pointed out why that was a great support level. I never thought it'd get back to 1000 this quickly. So, you know, stock market, this individual stocks seem broken, both on the downside and the upside. So my inclination here is, That 903 level, which is a previous all-time high going back a couple years, we will take a look at that again, and then maybe it can trade around that level.
2: It's amazing, though, the input costs and what the impact it could have on EVs specifically. I mean, in addition to chip shortages and raw materials to build the actual car, but the input costs going into batteries are high, too. Batteries need not just lithium, but nickel, copper, all these other um, metals in order to make them. So, Tim, I'm wondering what your view on... On that is well, because they're going to have to raise prices. Yeah, the scramble Again, for maybe. for
0: rare earth and the competitive landscape. And we heard, you know, from Ford and, and how they're committed to it. And and so I, I think there will be enormous upward pressure on every component in that car. They they've done a remarkable job to this point, especially in the semiconductor, uh, you know, shortages and, and bottlenecks. But I do think it's a case of of prices have to go higher for a company that really had a difficult time producing uh, the Model Three at the price they said they were going to. I realize they've spiked up on sales. Uh, the biggest issue. for for Tesla is not now. I mean, to be clear, it's definitely not about can they get the cars and can they produce them? It's really a question of, I think, the price you're willing to pay for the company. And if you look at that stock, this is like a lot of charts out there at somewhere 990. It actually may be breaking that downtrend from November highs. A lot of charts look like this, and you can make an argument that it broke through it. Although, uh, again, we've had an enormous snapback.
2: All right. Coming up, cryptos cruising higher and one investor is shattering records with the launch of a new fund. The details ahead. But first, we've got a fast pitch coming your way. Forget the baseball puns, though. Why this stock may be a hole in one investment. More on the pick when Fast Money returns.
7: Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Callaway Golf bouncing more than 2% today. The stock has been struggling this year, underperforming the S&P by about 6%. But one hedge fund is betting big on this name. We're mixing sports metaphors, teeing up with a Fast Pitch with Eric Udoff. He's co-chief investment officer at Marlowe Partners. So, Eric, um, what's your number one reason why you're so confident in uh, Eli?
11: Uh, well, we have, we have three reasons, uh, here. Uh, you know, overall, I think it comes down to valuation, the strong trends. Uh, so Callaway, uh, as you know, sells golf equipment and apparel and recently uh, merged with Topgolf. So number one, uh, the strong industry trends, uh, as it, the reopening benefits Topgolf and then golf overall has been doing very well. Number two, the complexities made it more likely for there to be a mispricing. And then finally, there's the valuation itself. So, you know, on the strong trends, uh, the group business is really important to top golf, where most of the value lies in the company now. As the pandemic continues to subside, we continue to see strong and improving results and earnings speeds. Taking a step back at golf overall, the industry has been on fire during the pandemic with work from home. You've seen rounds played up 20% versus 19 last year. We've seen four years in a row now of more golfers on the golf course. All this is what leads to earnings upside. The Complexity making it more likely for there to be a mispricing that's something a pattern we like to see in investments. Good chance of a better chance of being right. Uh, they struck this deal uh, in, uh, in 2020 at a good time. Stocks only a few dollars higher than there, despite the uh, earnings and everything coming in much higher than planned. And then finally, the valuation itself uh, we're at the low end of the valuation range. Good way to look at it's EV to EBITDA. Uh, it's at the lower end of the range, despite uh, the business improving with this merger. Uh, Top Golf is more like Shake Shack; it's a high-growth business, secular grower. Uh, and then finally, I'd highlight the insider buying. You have uh, in December the CEO and CFO bought shares, and then again last week in bigger size, uh, they bought more.
2: Guy's got a question for you, Guy. Sure. Quick question
5: is this. I mean, would this fall in the category valuation compelling? Absolutely. Is this simply a reopening trade? And if you believe the back half of 2022, is it going to be robust? Almost by definition, you have to own this stock.
11: We think so. Yeah. If the group business comes back, that's one of the things that's made Topgolf such a good business in the unit economic level.
2: All right, Eric, thanks for coming on and, and fast pitching us. We're going to vote now. No more questions. So we, are you buying Eric's pitch on Callaway? Jeff Mills, what do you say?
4: I'm going to give it a big yes. You know, I, I believe in the top golf story. I think that that is going to propel revenues in a way that justifies the valuation. Uh, and I also think kind of the flexible work arrangements being here to stay keeps people engaged in golf. So overall, I think it's got some runway
0: here. Tim? Yeah, I, I like top golf. I'm worried about the capital intensity of that business in the short term. But I'm a buyer, and that's that's actually a golf club hitting a baseball, by the way. So it's just in case you didn't see that. Mixing
3: metaphors again. Uh, Dan. Yeah, um, I also would be a buyer. There's a great pitch there. And I'd be worried if I were Jeff's employer, that, that flexible work situation and the golf thing that he just kind of teases up a, on. Yeah, he's, yeah.
0: He's on. He lives on the golf course. <laughs> yeah, seems troubling.
5: Guy. Fair. Can you read my smart board? You might have heard him point out the insider buying. That's what I said. Read that, please, Mel.
2: C-F-O bought stock. Hashtag GSB.
5: (laughs) That, of course, guys, smart board. Yeah, and you know what? Jeff Mills should be playing golf. That's part of the job description, Dan. Leave the general alone. All right. Thank you.
2: Eric, thank you. The traders have spoken. We're going to do our Twitter poll, though, here, because we want to know if you out there are buying Eric's pitch on Callaway. You can vote. Go to our Twitter at CNBC Fast Money. We'll bring you the late, the results later on in the show. Coming up, a 1.5 billion dollar VC fund. Why this one is shattering records? The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crypto investor Katie Hahn shattering records with her debut VC fund, the largest initial fund raised by a solo female founding partner. For more, let's get to Kate Rooney, who sat down with Katie for her first interview since leaving Andreessen Horowitz last year. Kate.
12: Hey, Melissa. Yeah, Katie Hahn raising $1.5 billion for her debut funds. Hahn Ventures, as it's being called, will be split into two parts. There's $500 million for early stage investments and a billion dollars for some of the later stage investments growth companies. She really did become a household name in crypto after co-leading the digital asset funds at Andreessen Horowitz and surprised a lot of people by leaving that firm in December. She was an early Coinbase investor and sits on that company board and says a smaller team will let her be more nimble. She highlighted the wave of big tech and Fortune 500 companies now getting into blockchain and says that shows its potential across industries. Not a week that goes by
8: where a new entrant, a new large entrant, isn't coming into the space. And I think it's just reflective of the opportunity and that it will touch all industries. It's no different than you see some of the big banks and big financial institutions when they started investing in and getting um, more inquisitive about fintech. Um, They saw that disruption was coming, and I think it's
12: really no different here with some of the Web2 incumbents. Han has invested through multiple bear markets and says that she learned some lessons from deploying capital during what some call a crypto winter.
8: I learned that don't get too distracted by the prices because during that deployment of that first crypto fund, you know, Uniswap, Solana, OpenSea and many, many other projects were born. That during that cycle. And so one of the things I've learned as an investor with really a long-term view of the space is that great products are going to be built and great protocols are going to be built uh, no matter what the prices are in the space.
12: Han tells me Bitcoin prices and publicly traded crypto companies like Coinbase getting hit lately is not spilling over to private startup valuations quite yet. And the firm is investing in both the equity of startups and cryptocurrencies known as tokens, which tend to be more liquid. Melissa.
2: Kate, I'm not sure, you know, if Katie thinks about it this way, but I'm wondering if there's any thought that there's competition for those dollars, that all those dollars are going into funds like hers, and she raised a lot of money, as opposed to
12: coins themselves. It's interesting that the venture capitalists are now competing sort of with the the average retail investors. One of the things we talked about was the idea of uh, certain founders and entrepreneurs not taking venture capital money at all and just raising token projects and saying they want it to be community led she said she's seen some examples of that it does seem to be uh common that they're still being let onto the cap table. But it's definitely a a new funding model in general. And I think there is a thought that it could eventually be a threat to the venture capital model. But a lot of competition there. She really is, like I mentioned, a household name, a brand name, and people want her on the cap table. But there is just a flood of money going into the space. CB Insights had a stat about $25 billion went into blockchain funding last year. We'll see if that can keep up um, as crypto prices go down and if investors are going to want that level of exposure. $25
2: billion. Wow. Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney, you can watch the whole interview with Katie Holland on our website. Head on over to CNBC.com slash crypto world. Dan.
3: You know what it reminds me of? Okay, after the dot-com implosion, right? So we had this big run-up in the late 90s, and then we had this implosion in the public markets, and VC was to- it was small, so relative to where it is right now. This is probably like investing in some Web2 companies right now. We've already had that big run-up in '17, in the winter in '18, '19. So, to me, the timing seems great, and some of the biggest innovations in finance and tech are going to happen in this period.
0: I, I just think the regulatory framework right now is so constructive for seeing assets flow in. I mean, there's no question that regulators are starting to get their arms around. You're giving the ability of CIOs in in big institutions, the ability to actually go. More regulation means more adoption means higher prices.
2: Coming up, grab your popcorn. AMC surging in today's session. That had options traders running to the ticket counter. How they're playing this one next. And there is still time to vote on Eric's pitch. Are you buying Callaway Golf? Vote in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. More fast right after this. Take a look at chairs of GameStop rising in the after-hours session of 4.5% on top of a 30-plus percent gain in the regular session. Chairman Ryan Cohen increasing a stake in the company to 11.9%. So uh, the chairman going deeper into GameStop. So then now we're seeing the stock. It was interesting because the filing dropped and there wasn't any reaction in the stock. And then now the stock is rising. So we'll keep watching this one. Meantime, Reddit stocks in general, they were rising in today's session. One of these names is seeing a lot of love among option traders specifically. Mike Coe has the action. Mike.
1: Yeah. So the name we're looking at is AMC, although I'll quickly point out that GameStop also traded more than four times its average daily call volume today. But AMC, this is one that traded well over two times its average daily options volume. That put it on the podium. It was number three in terms of single stock options volume contracts traded today, trading nearly 740,000 contracts overall calls, significantly outpacing puts. And the most active options were the weekly 20 strike calls that expire at the end of this week. Buyers were paying just under 40 cents to buy those, obviously betting that the rally that we've been seeing in some of these Reddit names might continue through week's end.
2: Mike, you said GameStop had a lot of activity as well. Was it anything uh, very unusual? I'm just I mean, it was a 30 percent gain today. And then and then the chairman announces that he's increased the stake. I don't know. It
1: it was about the 15th most active single stock option GameStop was. And it traded four times its average daily call volume well over 200,000 contracts, that represents about 20 million shares. And to put things in perspective, when we're talking about these big volumes, if you have a float like AMC does of about a half a billion shares, you're talking about nearly 15% of the entire shares outstanding that are trading on the option side in a single day. So this is pretty notable activity.
2: All right. Uh, Guy, you know, on your on your smart board before you wrote CFO buying as it pertains to Callaway Golf. Here we have chairman buying an increasing stake. So is that a positive for GameStop? So
5: I got to be I know what you're saying. You got to be consistent, Swizz. If you know if it's good for Callaway, it's got to be good for GameStop or AMC or And you're right about that. And it's funny. I think the general on when they reported GameStop. And we said, look, you know, it wasn't an earnings story on the way up. It's not one now. I thought the stock would probably sort of continue to sort of gravitate back down towards 50. And here we are at 100. Again, just an, just one more sign, in my opinion, of a market that's a wee bit broken,
2: Melms. All right. Um, Mike, thank you. Mike Coe with the Options Action there. And for more Options Action, you can catch our full show every Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And there is still time to vote on Eric's pitch. Are you buying Callaway Golf? Vote in our Twitter poll, CNBC Fast Money. More fast and these results and your final trades next. Welcome back. Time to find out if you are buying Eric's fast pitch on Callaway Golf. And it looks like Eric Udoff has struck out. 57% say Callaway is a bogey. He was really, he, I mean, basically, once the traders all said bye, he was doomed. Time for the final trade now. Let's go around the horn. Guy guy's on me. Expedia Melms, EXPE. Jeff Mel.
5: Crowd
0: strike, the chart, the growth. I think there's plenty of upside in this one.
2: Tim Seymour.
0: So, we've talked about emerging markets and how they've been difficult, especially because of China. If you want to invest in EMX China, how about South Africa? EZA. Not only do you have gold and other things, but precious metals in the currency's realm.
2: Dan. Yeah,
3: at spank419. You are right. Spy puts. That's my
2: final trade. Oh. At spank? He's not going to ask tweet it. He just tweeted um, a spank. Thanks for watching Fast. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Kramer starts right now.